Mark chapter 10, verse number 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also ask him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Father God, we pray for your wisdom and your guidance and your strength as we look at this passage. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me to say the things I ought, say absolutely nothing I ought not. I pray for truth, I pray also for compassion, and I pray, Lord, that we'll all hear your word and to be open to it. So speak to us today, Lord. Uh, I just pray you'd, talk, you'd, you'd, you'd teach us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a hard topic. This is a hard passage. This is church splitting ground here. I uh, was meeting with Brother Phil, Pastor, he's Pastor Phil Ross. And I had a meeting here on Friday morning, and I said, you know, I'm preaching out of uh, Mark chapter 10 on Sunday. Would you pray for me? And he said, ah, he said, we just, uh, we're in Mark uh, down at Wellspring. And he said, it fell to me to preach out of Mark chapter 10. I said, oh, how'd it go? He said, uh, one family left the church. So I hope that's not the case today. This passage is a good example of why we preach systematically through texts. You cannot escape these hard things. And believe me, I have tried. Has anybody noticed we haven't been in Mark for two weeks? There's a reason for that, and it goes beyond the fact that we had Father's Day fall in there. I've been looking at this and agonizing over this and wanting to make sure that I had it right before I spoke to it. And so I needed a couple weeks to get worked up to it. I want to say, in starting out this morning, that my attitude has changed a little bit over the years. I preached from this passage many, many years ago when I was young and knew everything. You remember when you were young and knew everything? I was that way one time. Idealistic. And I've changed a little bit. Not in what I believe about Scripture. Not at all. Not in what I believe about its authority over our lives. Actually, as a matter of fact, the older I get, the more convinced I am. The more I realize how every other authority is, is faulty and suspect and a failure and only the Bible is something that we can truly follow all the time. But I also am getting softer. Not just physically, that's happening too. But I'm, I, I'm getting softer in my thinking about things. I think I would have emphasized the biblical truth that God hates divorce and just hammered on that before. And uh, I still have to emphasize that truth. And I still have to recognize that that's what the Bible teaches. But I also empathize a little bit more with the hard realities that we face in life nowadays. It's hard living in a fallen world. It's difficult stuff. We fail and we fall and we mess up and we hurt one another. We hurt ourselves. 
And so I hope that as we talk through this passage today, the Lord helps us to look at it through both lenses that uh, are important here. First is the lens of truth. And second is the lens of compassion. Because Jesus never minimized either one of those sides of the equation. I always think of the story of the, the woman caught in adultery. It's perhaps the best example we have of this way of Jesus. He did not for a minute minimize her sin. He said to her, go and sin no more. But he also showed great compassion on her and said, neither do I condemn you. So, as we look at this today, I hope that you'll be praying and praying for me and praying for us all as we hear it, that both of those things are true, that we see the truth, we accept the truth. We also realize the compassion that underlaid everything Jesus said, and that needs to be in this topic as well. Three things I want us to notice today. I want us to notice, number one, Jesus talks marriage. Number two, Jesus talks divorce. And then I want us to look at a a, a kind of a summary of the whole thing. A while back, the elders met, and we came up with a... uh, the Friendship Bible Church position statement on divorce and remarriage. And I want to share that with you kind of by way of summary at the end. So let's look first of all. Jesus talks marriage. In most of your Bibles, if you look at the top there, you probably have some kind of a heading over this section. And many of the Bibles that I looked at uh, said something like Jesus teaches on divorce. The word divorce was there. Uh, Most of the headings were that way. But as I read this passage, I, I actually don't think divorce is the main topic here. I actually think marriage is the main topic in this passage. I think he taught, first of all, on marriage. I think he answered a question about divorce, but he did so by teaching about marriage and centering on that truth. And so before we tackle the divorce part, because we do have to do that, let's notice his words on marriage. He said several things. He said, first of all, that marriage was instituted by God. That's in verses 6 and 7. Marriage was instituted by God. He was quoting there from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and verse number 24, which in the King James Version reads, uh, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Scripture is clear, and Jesus was clear here, that marriage is not a relationship that was dreamed up by mankind. There is nothing cultural about marriage. It does not have anything to do with the whims of society, regardless of what we see in our news today. It was designed by God from the very beginning. He instituted marriage to be between a man and a woman for life. He instituted marriage for companionship. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. Therefore, he created uh, Eve, a wife for him. He instituted marriage for propagation. He said uh, to them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We come to the New Testament and we find some other uh, truth. We find uh, uh, all of that, but we also find more. We find that in addition to companionship and propagation, marriage was also designed to be a picture, to be an illustration. It was to picture Christ's relationship with the church. We're referred to, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. One of these days we're going to sit down with the groom at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. And this, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but this, by the way, is why brides wear white. Did you know that? Brides don't wear white because of their personal purity. They wear white because it's a picture of the purity of the bride of Christ as presented to him. 
And all this stuff is talked about in Ephesians chapter 5. And we won't read that. You can read that on your own. Verses 21 through 33 uh, goes through a lengthy description about family things and marriage. And then in verse number 32, it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage pictures the relationship between Christ and the church. Revelation 19 and verse number 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So Jesus said, first of all, that marriage was instituted by God. We can say more about that, but we'll leave that there. Jesus said next that marriage is an unconditional covenant. An unconditional covenant. We use that word a lot, covenant. It basically means a promise. It basically means a contract. In the Bible, we find two primary kinds of covenants. There's a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant. A conditional uh, promise or covenant could be stated like this. If you do this, I will do that. It's based on a condition. If you do this, I will do that. An unconditional promise is different, though. It could be stated like this. No matter what you do, I will do this. And we could spend some time looking at all the different promises God made, and you'll see that some of the, some of the promises are conditional. Some of them are unconditional. No matter what you do, I will do this. Oftentimes when I speak with young people about their wedding, they'll tell me they want to write their own vows. And I usually ask them to explain to me what they mean by the word vow. What does that mean? Do they understand that they are to promise something to each other? Or do they just want to recite love letters to each other? I love you so much. You're everything to me. My life has never been the same. As Jerry Maguire would say, you complete me. So nice. So warm and fuzzy. So not vows. Those are not vows. When we take our marriage vows, we are making a promise. We are entering into an unconditional covenant, one with another and with God. Think of the vows that so many of us recited to our spouse and to God when we were married. I copied some out of our most recent wedding, so you might recognize the names in a couple of these. I asked, for example, one young lady, I think her name was Elena, and I asked her, will you take Josh to be your wedded husband, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Will you love him and comfort him and honor and keep him in sickness and in health and forsaking all others? Keep yourself only unto him so long as you both shall live. Please respond, I will. She said, I will. It was a promise. Entering into a covenant. It's a vow. And then I looked at Josh. And I said, Josh, would you repeat after me? I, Josh, take thee, Elena, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us depart, according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge my faithfulness. A promise. An unconditional covenant. No matter what happens, I will be yours and I will stick by you. We promise some things to our spouse. We promise some things to those who witness our joining. We promise some things to God. And we need to keep our promises. One man said, marriage is not a contract of temporary convenience which can be readily broken. It is a covenant of mutual fidelity to a lifelong union made before God. So Jesus said marriage is an unconditional covenant. He said something else. He said marriage, in marriage, to become one. To become one. It's a a joining, according to verse number 7, or if you're holding a King James Bible, a cleaving. I love that word. 
cleaving to one another. And in many, cere- many uh, wedding ceremonies, we see a picture of this. We see the candlelighting ceremony or some variation thereof, where the bride and the groom would take, at the beginning of the ceremony, there would be two candles both lit, indicating their individual lives. And at some point in there, they take those two and they light the one in the center and extinguish the individual ones. It's a picture, uh, or whatever variation of that they use, it's a picture of this truth. Two have become one. The individuality that marked each when single is replaced. It's now about what's good for the team, for the marriage, rather than what's good for either or each individual member of it. I don't know about you, but I think this might be a good place for a Star Trek quote. What do you think? You think one would fit right here? Can you think of one that would work right here? I can think of one. I, uh, I quoted from what is generally believed to be the worst Star Trek movie in the history of the world the last time I think we spoke. So now let me quote from the one that is generally believed to be the best, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which just can't be beat. You may recall that at the end of that movie, Spock sacrificed his life to save the Enterprise. And as he lay dying, and Kirk asked him, what in the world are you doing? He said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's true in marriage. It's now about team. It's now about the whole, not about the individuals who made it up to have become one. Jesus said that. Jesus also said that God is the one who joins people together in marriage. Verse number nine. May not always feel like it, but if you're married, God was the matchmaker. Now, I know we can argue that all day long. I know we can think of all kinds of exceptions to that, but all I've got right here is scripture. It tells me God is the one who joined them together. And so God is a matchmaker. And so if you're married, God's the one who brought you together. You are where you are. You are with whom you're with because of God, said Jesus. And then finally, also in verse number 9, Jesus said that nobody should break up a marriage. Let not man separate is a command. Don't do it, he said. Nobody should do it, he said. So that's some of the things Jesus said about marriage. Now let's talk about the other side. Jesus also talked here about Divorce. This entire incident and the entire passage we read hinged on a question asked by the Pharisees in verse number 2. They asked whether divorce was lawful. In other words, what they were saying is, is it acceptable to God? This question and, and the conversation that ensued is also recorded in another place. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 19, and, and Matthew added some, some additional detail to this. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3 says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And so there was a little bit more to the question. Is it lawful to divorce? Is it lawful to divorce for just any reason? They were thinking back to what Moses had written. And, of course, Jesus asked them, What did Moses say? And no doubt they were thinking back to this passage When Moses said, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you 
as an inheritance. Deuteronomy chapter 24. A lot in there. It's a lot in there. We're not going to get bogged down in all of that. But there were two primary ways in which that particular teaching of Moses was interpreted in that day. Uh, here's how, uh, jo- uh, what's his name here, Walford, in, in his commentary on this. Here, here's how he explains that. He says, all Pharisees agreed that this Old Testament passage permitted divorce, that only the husband could initiate it, and that divorce implied the right to remarry. But they disagreed on the grounds of divorce. The strict view of Rabbi Shammai allowed divorce only if a wife were guilty of immorality. The lenient view of Rabbi Hillel allowed a husband to divorce his wife for almost any reason. And some of you may have read some of the commentaries that have been written on that. There is some place, and I can't remember where this comes from, where where he actually uh, apparently said that uh, even if she messed up your eggs, burnt your eggs in the morning, that was enough grounds for divorce. And so that was their question. That's what they were coming, and that's the context in which they approached Jesus. They were saying, Is this, how do we answer this? Uh, they believed divorce was okay. Uh, they wanted to know, was it acceptable for any reason whatsoever? And here's what Jesus taught about divorce in answer to this question. First of all, look at verse number 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Look at verse number 11. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Whatever we believe about those verses, we have to admit, they say to us, divorce is never God's will. Divorce is never God's will. It was not part of his original design and plan. Marriage was, but divorce was not. Verse number 5, Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. In other words, it exists because of sin rather than by design. Moses regulated it because it was an unfortunate reality that needed some fences put around it, but it was never the original design and it was never God's will. Jesus said very plainly here in black and white terms, if you divorce your spouse and marry somebody else, you are committing adultery It is sin. And the black and white nature of this instruction is also seen in another place. Maybe the one of the primary places where we see the heart of God on this issue, and that's in Malachi uh, chapter uh, 2 and verse number 16. The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. What does God really think about this? He hates it. Hates it. It's never his will. I once counseled a young man who was bent on divorcing his wife. I don't even remember what his reason was, but he had some reason. He was, he was going to divorce his wife. And we had some discussion about this. And I remember him saying to me, I believe I've got God's blessing on this. And I remember sitting there thinking, how can that be if this is true? How can it be? Divorce is never God's will. Ah, but it's not that simple. There are also... Exceptions. I mentioned that if we get to the, the other places that it's mentioned in Scripture, for example, Matthew, there's some additional detail. We notice that Matthew records the same conversation, but we also see there that he added an exception, a case where divorce was acceptable. Matthew 19 and verse number 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another 
commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So if we just look at Mark, the issue is so black and white, it's so simple. But if we expand our view and we bring Matthew into the, into the picture, we recognize that there's more to this. is not quite so clear. Sexual unfaithfulness in marriage, sexual unfaithfulness to the marriage vows, according to that, is a valid ground for divorce. And if we broaden our study even further than that, we have to bring the epistles into the picture, and then we come to Corinthians. We find Paul teaching that if a saved person is married to a lost person and the unsaved person initiates divorce, the saved person is free to remarry. So there are at least a couple exceptions to this black and white teaching that are seen here in mind. The fact is, marriage is not easy. It takes work. It's not easy to be a husband. It's not easy to be a wife either. If you'd leave me a second, I would have got to that. As I try to tell young people when they're considering marriage, marriages don't just work. Marriages take work. Marriages require work. I always cringe when I hear somebody say as a reason why they are splitting up, why they are considering a divorce, well, it just didn't work, or it just doesn't work anymore. It never did. It's always about whether or not we are willing to work at it. Marriages don't work. They take work. And I think that statement betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of marriage when I hear it from somebody. Christians should always strive to work things out, trusting in and seeking help from the one who can fix anything. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God can fix anything. Our God who forgave and forgives everything in you can help you learn to forgive anything in a spouse. No matter how troubled the marriage, our God, who heals you completely, can heal any sickness in a marriage. He who binds up all of our wounds, calms every fear, picks us up every single time we fall, enables us to bind up and calm and pick one another up as well. fixes everything. He fixes everything. And he can fix anything in our marriage. God took my first wife home just as we were celebrating 35 years of marriage. This past week would have been our 38th anniversary. And I was uh, broken by that in ways that will never totally heal until he calls me home. But then he gave me Kathy, who had also suffered the loss of her husband to cancer. And so together we face this new future now building a home together now, learning to live together in marriage all over again. We haven't had a significant fight yet. We haven't had any real areas of difficulty yet. We haven't made each other truly mad yet that I know of. We haven't hurt each other badly yet. And I hope those things never happen. I truly do. We're old old enough now that maybe some of the silly things that young people fight about are done, but 
I'm also realistic enough to know those things could happen. And so we're just starting out. We're determined to honor God with our home, determined to be faithful and true to all the things the Bible teaches about marriage. But you know, in those three and a half decades that I was married to Beth, we experienced all those things. Every one of them. We had our fights. Most trivial. Some terrible. We had our hurts. Sometimes we bruised each other. Sometimes we broke things so badly we didn't think they could be fixed. In the early days of our marriage, there was a couple times when we broke it so bad. Not a positive thing left. Not a kind word left. Not a moment of hope. It was bad. There was nothing but anger and betrayal and pain and hopelessness. We were done. Those of you who knew us in the latter years could probably say that's not possible, but it was. We were done. Except for one thing. We believed this stuff. We believed divorce was wrong. We, del- we believed God could fix it, even though we couldn't see it. And so we came to this place where we just decided we're going to stick it out and trust him and not quit. I remember bowing down and praying, Lord, you can fix anything. And we gave the shattered remains of a broken home to him, and he fixed it. Not overnight. Not without its ups and downs, but he fixed it. And it was good again, and it got better and better until God called her home. During that time, right at that time when we made that agreement, we went to a jeweler together and we decided we're going to buy something that will symbolize this decision. We bought rings, this ring right here. And I still wear this ring. Because what this ring means is my God can fix anything. Every time I look at it, I think about that. I know there are many here today who have been touched by divorce. And I know there are many facets of this issue that we could spend all day, every day talking about. I, I know it's hard. I know it's raw. I know it's painful. And I know we haven't even scratched the surface of the number of things that We haven't even mentioned the issues surrounding abuse, which certainly has to come into that discussion. Has to factor in somewhere. Some months back, as I mentioned, one of our membership asked the elders for help on this, help in understanding what the Bible taught about it. And so the elders met, and we prayed, and we attempted to pull together the truth of Scripture into a single statement or series of statements that would answer the question. And so we came up with the Friendship Bible Church Position on divorce and remarriage. We like long names. And I want to close this morning by reading it. If you want a copy of this, it's freely available to anybody who wants to see it. This is it. We, we, we mentioned several things in here. We mentioned the overarching principle. We looked at Jesus' words. We looked at Paul's words. We discussed if, uh, how this applies if you are facing divorce, and we discussed how this applies if you've already been divorced. So let me look at those five things and we're done. First of all, the overarching principle we've already mentioned, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 16, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. 
Divorce is never a desired outcome, nor is it ever something of which God approves. Therefore, it is our position as a church that divorce be avoided whenever possible. Reconciliation is almost always possible and always the desired outcome. Forgiveness is always possible. Did you hear that? Forgiveness is always possible. And almost always the recommended response to marital issues. That's the overarching principle. Jesus' words we took from Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10. We've already read them. We won't read them again. But we saw that in, the, in those places Jesus taught divorce is not part of God's original design. Marriage between a man and a woman is the design and has been from the beginning. Divorce is not God's desired solution to problems in a marriage. Moses' regulation of divorce was necessary because of sin, not because divorce was something God intended. To divorce and remarry is to commit adultery. And there is one exception unfaithfulness on the part of the spouse. In that case, marriage, remarriage seems permissible. I'm going to get that from Matthew, not Mark. So that's Jesus' words. Then we looked at Paul's words. And I'm not going to read this either, but you could look here on your own, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. If you go there and look at that on your own, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16, you see that Paul taught there, again, divorce is neither desired nor permissible, in verses 10 and 11. If divorce does occur... Remarriage to anybody other than the original spouse is impermissible. Reconciliation is the desired outcome. Verse 11. In the case of an unequal yoke, which is just another way of saying a saved person being married to an unsaved person, the saved member should not seek divorce from the unsaved member. Verses 12 through 13. Saved should never be the one who seeks divorce. And if the unsaved member of an unequal yoke initiated divorce, the saved member is free to remarry. That's verse 15. That's Paul's teaching on the topic. And so then we said, if you are facing the prospect of divorce, several thoughts. Number one, seek reconciliation above all else. If it is God's ideal outcome, as the above scriptures clearly teach, then it should be your first choice as well. Number two, seek God's help in reconciling. He can heal your marriage. Jeremiah 32, 17. Only accept divorce if you have no other choice. As a Christian, it should not be something you seek at all. And if you are the aggrieved party, then practice forgiveness, if at all possible. Ephesians 4.32 and Matthew 18. And if you have been divorced, based on those scriptures, do not seek to enter into other relationships until all hope of reconciliation with your spouse is lost. Unless your divorce was due to one of the two exceptions mentioned by Jesus and Paul, unfaithfulness on the part of your spouse or a lost spouse leaving you, then the desired state is to remain unmarried. And number three, if your divorce was due to one of the above exceptions, once all possibility of reconciliation is gone, you are free to remarry. That may not be perfect, but it's what we believe is a summary what the Bible teaches on this topic. So we've looked at Jesus' teaching on marriage, Jesus' teaching on divorce. We've looked at the summary statement of it all. With all that said, let me just make three statements in closing and by way of application. Actually, let's make four because I just thought of another one I wanted to add. Let me add this one. God knows best. God knows best. And regardless of whether we understand this or not, or regardless of how we feel or where we're at in our life, God knows best. That's an added one. The next one is this. Jesus loves you. 
no matter your situation, no matter how much you might mess up. He knows that you are dust. He loves you anyway. Spurgeon got it so right when he said, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too narrow than diminish the great mercy of God. So wherever you are in this, don't forget that. Jesus loves you. And don't forget that none of us get through this life without messing up. Over and over and over. If this passage addresses an area where you've struggled, please do not feel singled out. We all fall and we all fail continuously. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and continue to fall short of the glory of God. If it's not in this area, we fail somewhere. This passage just simply addresses one area, so don't feel singled out. And finally, if you have fallen in this area, it is not the end of the world. It is not the end of your Christian experience, and it is not the end of your service for God. In Jesus, the future is always bright. Jesus always forgives. He never gives up on you. And so if this passage brings sorrow, and if this passage brings tears, let me suggest that you face it in a way that I, 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 don't, think, I don't think anybody could improve on the way John Piper eloquently said to face things like this. He said this. He said, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Then wash your face. Trust your God and embrace the life you have.